Hi there, welcome to episode 113 or 14, what are we on? Oh, we're on 14, 114 of Fear of Black Planet. I've um, <clears throat> just having looking through the news to see if there's anything I particularly want to talk about. Um, in terms of the European elections... I voted for Brexit party, <laughs> Nigel Farage, and I don't think Nigel Farage is the caricature people make him out to be, but at the same time I don't regard him as a particularly shrewd leader or someone who I could put my trust in especially, but it was a purely strategic vote because and I think this is probably true, it's it's, bo it's borne out by the fact that it was Brexit Party who got 30-odd percent of the vote and then 20% of the vote went to the Lib Dems and everyone else was basically fucked. <clears throat> and it's basically because the Lib Dems and the Brexit Party had a clear message. That's what it is. That's why they came out on top and why the uh, Lib Dems have had a resurgence because they had a clear message, stop Brexit. There was no, I think, if anything, people could say, oh, well, it's it's a clear sign people want Brexit, but I think it's a clear sign people want clarity. It was actually a rejection of all the noise and um, having it both ways, spin-doctoring, that despite the referendum three years ago, still continues to dominate the political elite in Britain and in most democracies these days, especially in the Anglosphere. Part of the problem with this is that the the referendum vote, to some extent Trump's victory in America, but certainly the referendum vote in Britain was a, not just a referendum on the European Union, it was a referendum on a certain type of politics. Politics through spin-doctoring and marketing and public relations and uh, cosy journalism, and none of that's changed. You know, people have talked. People keep talking about the divisions and uh, the the benefits or or otherwise of the European Union. But I think what people are failing to look at is the more sort of spiritual questions about the the state of public life. That's certainly what drove my vote, and I have the feeling that whether people explicitly say it or not, that's what a lot of people felt as well instinctively was just this feeling that since Clinton and Blair the Anglosphere politic political realm has been dominated by triangulation and spin doctoring and you know platitudinous propaganda political correctness and all of that's tied into it and it it's Again, it's very easy to say, oh, you're just another white guy ranting about political correctness gone mad, but I'm putting it in a context of something much bigger than just, than just, you know, whether I should be nice to people. And I've talked a lot at length about how political correctness uses niceness as a, as a Trojan horse for ideology. So that's the criticism. It's not about being whether you want people to be good or bad, good-mannered or not. <clears throat> However, it's in, in a much wider context, all this stuff. And 
the context is is a degradation. It's basically what Orwell warned about in politics in the English language, which is the 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 degradation of language to in a kind of risk risk aversion way, where people try to say the most innocuous things in public life so as to avoid scandal and um, any appearance of extremity or or, or uh, vested interest, so that therefore the whole public life just becomes this sort of uh, mass of bland platitudes and empty rhetoric. However, the vested interests continue to be the dominant function in society. So you don't actually get rid of the very thing that they pretend to be avoiding in their empty rhetoric. All you do is give it a cover, and that's very much what political correctness does. It doesn't get rid of racism. It just it just gives a cover for it. Um, and it's really just a PR spin for people who want to avoid the scandal of seeming racist. It's got no moral uh, substance to it, really. Um, or let's put it this way: it needn't have any moral substance to it. It, do it doesn't demand moral substance that I call for unity. I can call for unity to my heart's content, but it, but there's no accountability in in a call for unity. I think what the world needs now is more unity. Uh, there's more that uh, unites us than divides us. These all sound good and appeal to the emotions in some way, but they don't have any substance or accountability built into them. So there's there's no real um, condition under which that that's really what the the, the platitude and the the um, the cozy phrase have the advantage of is that they don't have there, there's no condition under which they can be falsified. So a person who's voting or for it or against it can't really decide under what conditions they will be they will feel disappointed and therefore will re revoke their vote and that's the the whole game of spin, right, is to keep you in that place where there's there's no uh, burden of proof, there's no uh, falsifiability, uh, as long as it sounds good. And I think that, that that to me is what the whole Brexit phenomenon has been a vote against, and it's and it's increasing. I mean, it's not increasingly; it's it's stubbornly. The EU and the what you might call the administrative elite, the, the technocracy, which I don't think you can reasonably doubt exists, feeds off this. It's a whole industry of this. It's a whole class of this. And I've seen it front on, by the way. I just live across the water from Westminster, and I've been to a couple of these. And ve and, and, and even like the people like Farage and the, and the conservative, supposedly populist, supposedly... the people who are providing a critique of this are behaving in exactly the same way. It's a very little cosy club. It's a little circle jerk. Everybody goes along and uh, it's about who you know and it's all networking and backslapping. The whole political economy is driven by spin doctoring, public relations, marketing and generation of platitudes. And even after three years of consistent evidence that the country is fed up with this, 
it persists because the people, it's not really about the politicians and it's not even about the ideological position of the parties. It's the fact that there is this stubborn sort of um, aristocracy of public relations that governs the Anglosphere, where the message is more important than the substance. And because it's such a huge industry, that's the real vested industry interests. That's the real vested interest that's dominating Europe and America and probably most likely Australia and, you know, the whole Anglosphere. But nobody's talking about that vested interest. They're all talking about sort of, um, you know, it's either vague things about unelected elites in Europe or Westminster Tories, um, you know, it's... But the the real vested interests, the real rulers, are the are the public relations people, the spin doctors, and they're just they're just dumbfounded. They can't accept that the game's up. They can't accept that they're being called out for the last three years by people on all sides. I think you know there's a kind of Ramonerish type who's perfectly willing to go back to the to the uh, aristocracy of. PR and spin, but there are a lot of people on the Remain side who recognise that we're that something went badly wrong and want and want to and want to change, want a more authentic politics. But the the the, the vested interest in in the inauthenticity of of public discourse is so big, and there's such a huge industry of it, and they continue to dominate the parties. They continue to uh, try and game the system. And that's what they're being paid for. And nobody's... The problem is we can't oust those guys is what I'm getting at. We can't... No matter how many times we vote in some kind of protest vote in a referendum or an election, we can't oust those guys. One of the funniest things about uh, reading the whole thing about the Tory meltdown yesterday was that they all started coming out at people like Gove and... uh, McVeigh and uh, all those types. <clears throat> uh, what's her name? Uh, Liz Truss. Uh, they all came out and sort of said, "Oh well, you know, I think people are fed up with uh, meaningless consensus and want, you know, something authentic. They want to come down either way, and they want someone who stakes a position and doesn't try to please both sides." But the funniest thing was is that every single one of them was saying this line, parroting a line. So. The anti-consensus line was the new consensus. And I could just see a bit like that Bill Hicks bit where he talks about the marketing people. Ah, yes, the trap dollar, the anti-marketing dollar. We've done our research. There's a lot of money. It was just like that. You could tell that the spin doctors were trying to uh, uh, outflank the reader. Uh, And it just, you know, and, and how I know that is because the uniformity of it across all of these people who are being profiled and interviewed as if we're, I mean, I was reading the Telegraph, but the tel- I mean, it's become a kind of um, a, a prospectus for uh, Tory leadership. <clears throat> so I just thought that that, that was interesting. Um, I thought that uh, that brought up um, the irony of that was quite interesting to me. 
Just give me a second. Sorry, that was uh, <clears throat> someone at the door for me. That's why I was a bit distracted there. But yeah, that's my two pennies worth for what it's worth. I mean, we've already heard the, we've heard all of what I'm saying. I just think that if I'm if I'm adding anything, it's just that the how persistent this culture of PR spin has become, and how. unable we are to dislodge it and it it's just incredible to me I don't actually understand why we can't get rid of it because I think that and this is a, a big reason that Trump got in and actually I have to say to his credit he doesn't try to risk manage everything he says and I think that Probably the combined, probably over the years, I think there's been building up since Clinton's sex scandal through 9-11 and Bush's uh, warmongering and I think the Patriot Act, the uh, Blair's collusion in lying about a pretext for war, rather than, I mean, I think a lot of people would have been more open to some kind of moral action in the Middle East after 9-11 if they'd just been honest saying, look, we've been, you know, our allies have been attacked here and we need to do something. But the fact that they tried to spin it to, to create an airtight case rather than just say, look, these are our friends and we're going to have to do something about it. Um, to the, the crash and Obama's election, the hopey changey rhetoric compared to what actually really changed in terms of the financial infrastructure in the in in America and the corporate elites and all that. The disparity between those two things. All of these things combined over time just led to a complete disillusionment with political discourse. The actual public sphere itself has become a place of disillusionment and alienation and um, contempt. And that explains a lot. And I think that people are, are, are so fed up with this constant attempt to try and manage public opinion, constant attempt to try and manage risk and scandal, um, that we're caught between kind of mail online scandal headlines and platitudinous, vapid, empty rhetoric from politicians. That it's just refreshing when you get anything else other than that. And I think that's a big part of of what gives rise to a lot of populism. I don't think a lot of the what's called populism, because populism is a bullshit phrase anyway, but a uh, bullshit word. But it it gets fueled because. Anyone who just simply comes out and says something fit, vaguely edgy about a taboo subject suddenly becomes a, a champion in in a lot of disillusioned people's eyes simply for that fact, and they get a lot of moral kudos for that. And you could you could inoculate culture and public life against these. I don't, you know, some of them are toxic, some of them are ne need to be listened to. Like, you could say the Catalan movement in Spain as a populist movement needs to be listened to, right? You, you could say that the, 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 the rise of socialism in Greece is a form of populism that needs to be listened to. 
Um, I would say that the, the 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 Brexit Party and Farage in this country are far more in that group than you know Le Pen or some of these more extreme hardline anti-immigration groups that you get in in Europe. So, <clears throat> but I think you could you could you could take the the edge off a lot of some of the the more worrying edges of that if you just simply stopped with this risk aversion, risk management culture that we're in, in terms of public life. And now, a big part of that problem with dealing with that is that it's such big business, I think is what I'm trying to get at. The big business of risk aversion. These advertising, marketing, PR, spin doctoring elites are... protecting their interests they they, they 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 have to maintain a fear of scandal in order to employ themselves so i wonder and this is a bit of a conspiracy theory but i wonder to what extent are the sort of mail online headline mongers and the spin doctors and pr people in tow with each other you know because it's it's a beast that feeds off itself isn't it um so i don't know that's that's my take on it. And I think that, you know, the, the, the real loser in this is not just public life, it's the individual. The individuals, the, it's an assault on what it means to be human. Because in order to persuade someone with those kind of shady tactics, and it, there's a way of persuading someone, as Plato pointed out, there's a way of persuading someone that appeals to their highest ideals that appeals to their sense of agency and individuality and that's rational appeal but there's a way of persuading someone that subverts that and that's what a lot of this spin doctoring is and just appeal to emotion and and sound bites and platitudes empty rhetoric that just appeals on it's kind of like junk food for the soul and it's a huge industry and it and it's created all these divisions. It's created all this polarization, in my view. That's the real culprit. And the, and, and the sad thing is nobody, it's not going to change because the people involved in that, they're the new aristocracy. It's a staring us right in the face. That's the new aristocracy, but no one wants to, to have that revolution because it would be a creative cultural revolution. <clears throat> but it also, it, it, it's an attack on just the private conscience of the individual so that's what we're faced with and i find that particularly depressing these days i'm and i despair of it in a way but yeah anyway <clears throat> And there's, there's also, I read an article talking about this individuality stuff, this interview with David Brooks about his new book, which is, I've read a couple of articles to this, to this effect that it's a culture of me, 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 we're living in a culture of individuality, the era of Trump is an era of selfishness, and what we need is a, is a greater sense of community. Again, this stuff, this there, there's some substance to it. There is a selfishness pervasive in society. I'm not denying any of that, and and I'm not even denying the, the dangers of that selfishness. 
But I think it's, again, we're veering into platitudes because when we say things like what we need is unity and community and blah, 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 blah. I think it's a false antithesis, this idea that the that we can have extremes of one or the other. In the liberal tradition, and most brilliantly in Aristotle, and I've talked about this many times before, there's a ecological relationship between the individual and society. And that's the key question around individuality. Too often when you say, I am a liberal and I support the rights of the individual, you get branded, oh, well, you know, what about the communities? What about groups? What about collectivity? Blah, 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 blah. It's fake antithesis. It's a, it, that is a clear example of moralizing Trojan horse moralizing in order to bring in an ideology. Because without individuals making decisions which then create value in the world between yes and no, high and low, you know, affirming affirming or not affirming certain things, if you don't have moral agents making those decisions, then you don't have morality really the locus of morality is the individual agent and anything other than that is a is a is exactly what led to nazi germany or stalin's russia the relinquishing of responsibility and agency for the religious coziness of the group the womb of collectivity and too often when I hear people say, oh, there's this selfishness is such a problem, I wonder what their real agenda is when they talk, when they start talking about groups and communities and identity. You know, certainly on the right, there's a lot of that. And I would, I just want to put it out there that I think there's a lot more of that on the left than people want to talk about. And it actually, to me, reaffirms something which took a long time for me to admit that actually a, a form of liberalism is... Just liberal humanism is the only way forward. I've always felt it, but I, I now can articulate that. Liberal humanism is the only way forward. Because either you get into Machiavellian individualism or you get into collectivist relinquishing of responsibilities. And both of them lead to ideological warfare and polarization and nastiness. Whereas a, the true liberal tradition is an understanding based on, is based on the understanding that there is, that the, it, so Aristotle's point was you can only really become fully human. You can only fulfill your potential as a human being in the context of a society. But likewise, a society that doesn't have individuals reaching their highest potential is not a human society. Right, the um, you, <clears throat> that would have been his critique of of the Spartan regime, for instance, the Athenian critique of the Spartan regime, that it's not really humane because it's not allowing people to reach their full individual potential, and that is what it is to be human. And so, that's what I take to be the at the roots of the liberal tradition. That it's not a fusion because Hegel fused the two, saying that the 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 individuals 
right is manifest in the state, and that's that's a, that's a fusion too far for me. But there is an ecological relationship between the individual human and the humane society, and without one without the other can't exist. You can't have a society without human beings in their fullest, at least in principle, heading towards some kind of flourishing, trying to over, you know, and that meaning not being just an animal. Uh, succumbing to their to their instincts and to their uh, desires and to a kind of unconscious uh, pleasure principle that you and and likewise um, <clears throat> a, a human being can't do that unless they are in some kind of society. Uh, otherwise, you end up in the kind of Hobbesian, nasty, brutish short and. You're comp- otherwise you're just completely at the mercy of the contingencies of nature. I mean, that's what Aristotle said. So that is never talked about. All I ever hear is is one or the other, a kind of um, Anne Randian individualism, which, you know, there's some virtue in it, you know, but... And and also that there's virtue in the in the, in in the idea of community. I get it. I get why people are attached to these things. But the real truth is some kind of the, the symbiotic relationship between the two, and that's really been the actual uh, informative ideal behind the Western European liberal tradition. So I'm getting sick and tired of people just talking about individuality, disparaging individualism as if it's the opposite of love or something, you know, that is if anyone who's saying, but it's not, if a liberal person, if I on this podcast, I'm talking about the rights of the individual and the importance of protecting the rights of the individual, what I mean is that we are we, we can only protect the quality of public life by ensuring that the, the, the individuals have the right to, to discover, manifest and achieve their own flourishing. If we don't do that, public life itself becomes degraded and society is not really humane because it's seeking to suppress the rights of certain individuals for the sake of some abstract idea rather than it being a manifestation of real flourishing, of real people who create real value by through their choices and actions. So... I don't know. <laughs> I think that's that's probably enough for me. Um, yeah, I think I've said enough there. There's more to be said on that issue of of the real global elite being the spin doctors and the PR people and the kind of message masters. We're living in an aristocracy of message masters. And that's why nothing has changed. Because if anything had to for anything to really change, those people would have to give up their power. But the thing about their power is is that they have so much wealth and 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 money and uh, and actual influence without really doing very much. You know, they don't really they they know that deep down they they don't really create any value, so they have to create a, a semblance of of being valuable. And the way they do that is by maintaining the status quo, by maintaining a kind of anxious, scandal-ridden, lowest common denominator public life, so that they are the problem solvers that come in and say, hey, "Look, you know, you pay us forty grand a week, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll keep this. We'll manage the risk." 
of your public public image. You know, so that to me is the real reason why we're in the state we're in. It's not really about one ideology or not. It's about the the quality of public life being dictated by self-serving, self-referential elite class of PR spin doctors. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks for listening. I will be back next week with episode 115. And yeah, take it easy. Thank you very much.